Um, so I, I want to share with you a, uh, a, f- a sentence that is going to make your head spin this morning. <laughs> Are you ready for this head spinning sentence that, that'll, it, it, because we're, we're wrapping up a series called Cracking the Code of Contentment, and I thought this is so fitting for what we're talking about this morning, and that is this. I, I read this, uh, and you can read it a lot of different places on the, inter- on the internet, or what Mike calls the interweb, uh, whatever that means. Uh, it's this sentence, winning the lottery ruined my life. Does anybody find like, well, I'd like the lottery to test me on that theory. Uh, I, I, but, <laughs> right? I mean, you think, how in the world do people that win a large sum of money could later then say it ruined my life? And this is a thing that you can uh, search for yourself. Uh, not right now, by the way. Uh, but in your own time, there's a lot of people, not, not, not every lottery winner, no, but a lot of people that have won the lottery said it literally ruined their life. And it goes to show that bad money management, bad money habits, are uh, more money does not imp- improve bad money management. It just makes a greater problem. I, I, I guess the notorious B.I.G. was right when he said, more money, more problems. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear a preacher quote Notorious B.I.G.? But it's true, right, that the problems we have with money management is only compounded the more money you have. And so we're going to be talking about that. But if you're sitting there thinking, well, Justin, let's get back to the lottery. Let me just give you a little statistic on the probability if you are going to play the lottery. Uh, The winning the lottery, and again, I'm getting a lot of different sources, but this source says you have a 1 in almost 14 million chance of winning the lottery. And you're thinking, so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Because there's a greater chance that you could die from being left-handed and using a right-handed product incorrectly. That's 1 in 4.4 million. So... I, I just want to put this out there. That if that you have a greater chance doing that than actually winning the lottery. So we are talking about cracking the code of contentment. And what we're trying to do is talk about this idea of contentment. And this idea of contentment is so fleeting, right? It, it's it's something that we all want. And we've defined contentment. We can define contentment as simply this that it's the satisfaction of life is greater than your wants in life. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments of that, but I want a life like that. And maybe you've had moments of contentment where you're like, I don't want anything. I just want this moment. And you just love being in this moment of contentment, but I don't want you to just have a moment of contentment. Is it possible for you and I to have a life full of contentment? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to crack the code of contentment. And we're kind of doing so from the perspective of what Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And he kind of puts it in, in the middle of his like letter. He writes these two kind of facets to cracking the code of contentment. And the first one was that cracking the code of contentment is a new mindset. And he says it's moving from having to doing, and, and, and a lot of our mind space and a lot of our head space is really on what we don't have and about having. 
But he says we have to move from thinking about what we have to more about what we do. And this is where he says in, in Philippians 4.13, I can, help me with that word, do all this through him or Christ who gives me strength. That he says Christ, Jesus' strength strengthens us not in our havings, but in our doings. And we have to move from this focusing off of our havings to more of what we're doing or doing what what we have. And so that's kind of that mind shift we have to have. But the second one we need to talk about today, we're going to be talking about this as we conclude, is a new practice, a new practice. So it's not just about having this mindset, but it is accompanying with a new practice. So let's hear what Paul has to say. He's writing to these, this church, these, these Christians in Philippi. And as he's writing to them, again, he's talking about this idea of contentment and he's not doing this on the beach somewhere. He's in jail and he's not in jail for tax fraud. He's in jail because he would proclaim the amazing news that Jesus rose from the dead. And that he can, you can have life, life in his name. And so he's presenting this, and he's talking about this, and that's why he's jailed. And so he's jailed, but he's not going to shut up. He's just going to write his sermons out and send them to these churches. And Philippi was one of them. And so we're going to pick up where kind of we left off. In uh, Philippians 4, 12 through 19, what we're going to uh, go over today, is this, this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So he says, I've cracked the code of contentment. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, he goes on to say, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Then we go into the new information. He says, now, yet it was good for of you to share in my troubles. Well, how do they do that? Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, so Philippi was one of the early places adopted. They, the, the gospel message changed their life. So he says, because you were early you know, acquaintance of the gospel, and when I set out from Macedonia, uh, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And this is part of the reason why I have a sneaky suspicion the Philippians was Paul's favorite because Paul was like, you are helping spread the message of Jesus where all these other churches didn't. You guys stepped up. He goes on to say this. He says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, so he's kind of throwing the church of Thessalonica under the bus a little bit, you sent me aid more more than once when I was in need. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, not that I desire, get, get, get what he's saying here. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Whoa, whoa, whoa. pause here. Paul just is revealing something powerful in this moment that he's saying, look, I love your generosity, but what I love more from your generosity is what's happening because of your generosity. And he says, and it's not about what, he's not talking from his perspective. He's talking about their perspective as he says, it's been accredited to your account. So Paul is saying, something's happening with your generosity. Something's going on with this generosity that it has less to do with about this gift and more to do with what's happening on your end. 
And then he goes on to say kind of, uh, kind of more uh, detail. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. Isn't that nice? To sit there, I have more than enough. That's contentment. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus, can we just be okay that, that I got that right, by the way? Just worked on it for about three weeks. Um, Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. So he's bringing them. And look what he, the, listen to the language and what he's talking about their generosity. He says, they are a fragrant offering. They're acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, Paul, you're, you're kind of gushing over these people a little bit. What he's you and it's in it's this language of kind of Old Testament. He's because they they you know in the in the Old Testament when you were to bring a sacrifice it was like a burnt offering and so th- these are languages of this of I'm bringing worship to God and yet Paul is using that same kind of Old Testament worship language in re- in, in connection with their generosity, as he's saying that what, when you're generous. It's like a fragrant offering to God. When you're generous, it's like an acceptable sacrifice. When you're generous, it's like this pleasing thing for God. And he's talking about that there's this something deeper is happening than simply you sharing. Something's deeper happening than you just being generous with your finances. There's something deep happening here in your life. And it's as if your generosity is connected to worshiping God. And then he says in verse 19, and this is, this is a verse that people have taken out of context a little bit, but it's in connection with generosity. And he says, because, and little did they know, and I'm not, not sure if they did, but he's kind of reminding them, this is what's happening. Because of your, the way you view finances, this verse 19 happens. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Now, notice, key word here, needs, not wants. And it's easy to get those mixed up. You know what I'm talking about? Christmas is almost here. And and you have a list of what you say needs. Are they really, right? Or are they a list of wants? So, what, what he is saying here is that but the way they viewed their finances, the way they viewed and ordered their life and, and organized their life around their finances and how they shared, it's almost as if they were inviting God into, inviting them into uh, meeting their needs in their own life financially. It's almost like they're inviting God. This is what cracking the code of contentment seems to be about. It's not only a new mindset moving from having to doing, but it's also a new practice about organizing your finances around generosity. Contentment is not just about a mindset change, but a, a, but a continual change in ordering our life and organizing our life around generosity. So today I want to kind of talk a little bit about generosity. Now the interesting thing about generosity is that I, if I'm talking about generosity I would say if, I, if we polled everyone in America, right, I think 99% of people would say they're generous, right? Wouldn't y'all agree? Right? I think people, and, and the problem for, the reason for that is because we all have our own definition of generosity. 
The fact that I handed someone $2, you know, uh, feels like that's a generous thing. Now, for some people, that very much is. So I think what happens is because we have our own definition of generosity, we have now put ourselves in we're always meeting that need and we're never confronted with the fact that maybe we're not generous. Now, what that creates is now that what I just said, you know what, what it creates? It creates tension. That's why I have a slide there. I knew it was going to happen, right? Tension because could it be that we have focused in on generous acts and, and, not, and really discounted what does it mean to live a generous life? Could it be that we're mislabeling generous acts as generosity and really generosity is tied to a generous life? And could it be that we are missing out on the joy of generosity because we're focused in on generous acts rather than a generous life? Can I get an amen because you're like looking at me really strange this morning? I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Because anytime we talk about money in church and, and generosity in church, there's a little bit of tension there because we have all experienced, per, per, you know, per persuasive people, especially with the microphone, that can persuade you and I to give. Or we, we can be guilted into giving, right? Or we can be bribed into giving. You know, a preacher would say, now, of course, I'm not saying this, but a preacher would say sometimes, hey, you give God $1, he'll give you 10 you know? And using bad theology, I don't, I don't want to go there. I really simply want to talk about the principles generosity. In fact, my agenda is simply to talk about the principles of generosity. We, we're not passing a bucket this morning. We're not, I, I really just want to, I want something more for you than something that's from you. And, and let me give you a little background. I have been a part of this, this church community for not, I've been on staff at this church for 22 plus years, but I have been a part of this church community for over 30 now, don't do the math. It just means I'm old. That's what that means. I've been a part of this church, and this church, can I just, I want to brag on this church. For over the 30 years I've been a part of it, I have seen people in this legacy of generosity. And so I have grown up in this. And this is just something that is so kind of like, like a natural and intuitive that sometimes I forget that not everyone was raised the way I was. And so I want to present something that may be challenging, but this is what I've understood through uh, living in this community of faith that is so generous and being taught of how to be generous is simply this. Generous people don't give because of guilt. And generous people are, they, they're generous people, this is what I've learned from generous people. Generous people are okay to say no to needs. Because they realize that there's a finite resource, and I can't say yes to everything. So I'm very strategic. They're very strategic in their generosity. Generous people, this is what I've learned, order their lives around generosity. They just order their lives around generosity. So what I'd like to do this morning, if you'll allow me, <laughs> I'm asking permission. Are you all giving me permission? I, I want to talk about a new definition of generosity. Not, not a definition I've come up with, but a biblical, scriptural definition of generosity so that when we consider ourselves as generous, we see it from this perspective of a biblical understanding of generosity. So, are you all ready for this? 
Yeah, okay, you got nowhere else to go than right here. We're going. Generosity is. Now, now this, I'm, I'm accessing my inner Baptist preacher right now here. It's alliteration here. Strategic, systematic, and set apart. Generosity, this, this biblical definition is it's strategic, it's systematic, and it's set apart. Let's talk about generosity as being strategic. The interesting thing about uh, this idea of generosity that's strategic is that generous people don't just throw their money around at every little thing. No, they're very strategic. In fact, it's a very godly thing to be strategic with your generosity. In fact, God set it up this way. When God was training up this, this nation of people called the Hebrews to be this people that would represent him, he set up this way for them to be generous. And this is what he presented through Moses in Leviticus 27, 30. He said this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So right off the bat, some of you are thinking, well, what's a tithe here? Well, in, in, in the Old Testament, a tithe was simply this. A tithe was a tenth or 10%. And the reason why God wanted to set up this community of faith to say, hey, I want you to set aside 10% because there are temple needs and there's a community in need. Because in the Old Testament, you didn't have a central bank. You know, you didn't have social programs. So the needs of the community would have to go to the temple. And so God wanted to fund and strategically, so it wasn't just just for generosity's sake. He wanted to meet the needs of the community. Well, this idea not just stayed in the Old Testament. This idea continued on, even in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Listen to what Paul has to say as he's instructing these people here. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Do what I told the Galatian church to do, right? Where he had to preach to the Galatians and all these other people had to give. Philippians, he's like, you already give. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have been made continues. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Now, Paul sees this issue. He sees this thing where a bunch of these churches around these uh, around the, uh, the Mediterranean rim were very well off, and there was a need in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was suffering. It was a very impoverished area. So these churches said, we are going to take up a collection to help our other brothers and sisters that are thousands of miles away from us to help them. And so that's what he, he did this. And it, again, it was for meeting a need. It was strategic. It wasn't just haphazard. It was a strategic. It was for a purpose. And so I thought about this. I was thinking about our church. I thought, well, where, how are we doing even this year? And so I thought about it. And so I, I went to the bookkeeper and I'm like, hey, show me what our church has given away b- between Foro Taro and local and global missions. And so I want to celebrate that. I don't want to just, I don't want to sit there and say, ooh, look at us. But I just want to celebrate what God has done. Can we do that? Can we do that? Let's, let's check this out. For, oh, for, for, for Foro Taro, this is year to date. So we're not even the, the end of the year yet. Foro Taro events our community outreaches that we do given out to our community around us 
all different things. We give out 58,000, over $58,000. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Local and global missions. These are both supporting missionaries that, I don't know if you realize, we support missionaries monthly, both local and global. And that's around $57,000 year to date. Isn't that awesome? Again, it's important for us to practice what we preach, right? We, we need to be generous of what God has given us. And so this is, this is year to date, but this is something for you to consider. As you are ta- you know, thinking about this idea of organizing your life around generosity, please be careful and strategic with your generosity. Now, here's a great thing, and I can only say this being stateside, being in the United States, the United States has very strict, uh, you know, rules for any charitable organization. So before you give to a, any charitable organization, you as a person that's a donor are allowed to look at the finances of that organization. So be careful where you give because you may be wanting to give to something and it's not what it goes for. Okay, so you just got to make sure and be strategic. Uh, don't just haphazard. Do your homework. Be careful and strategic with your generosity. And so the next one is not just strategic as being generosity, but it's also systematic. Where oftentimes I think we think in this mindset of, well, it's sporadic. And, and I think of, well, I'm sporadic. I see a need and I, and I, and I want to help with that need. And because it's sporadic, I think I'm generous. But the Bible's understanding of generosity is more, you know, systematic. It's planned. Now, there is a headwind. If you want to choose to organize your life around generosity, you and I are going to immediately feel a headwind. And let me explain to you kind of the problem. And I have a graph here. Um, I love graphs here. This is, this is kind of what I call the consumer crazy cycle, Okay. And maybe some of us are on that, right? Generally speaking, you know, a majority of people spend more than they make or equal to. And so what happens, what does is, what is happen when you spend more than you make? You go, right? Well, it's, you're cheating. You saw that up there. You, no, no, but you're right. And you know what they call that debt when you spend more than you make? They call that consumer debt. Isn't that funny, that, that term, consumer debt? So you're in debt, which creates no margin. And no margin is I, I'm in debt, and, and so I'm having a hard time, no margin for future consumption. And when, I'm, when I don't get to have, and I'm, you know, what happens when I don't have future consumption, I worry about my future consumption. And the crazy cycle continues. On and on and on. But when you look at the, how the Bible says we should organize our life around finances, here is kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. This is something I was taught very young. And so I, it's just, it was kind of automatic. I've always kind of lived this way. But for some, this may be new, is to simply do this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. And when you... Organize your life around give, save, live. It's a different kind of graph. In fact, this is what it looks like. When you, and again, this is what God said in Leviticus 27, 30. He said, I want you to set aside, I want you to give it first. 
And something happens when you give first and organize your life around giving first. When you give first, it's easier for them to save second. And when you save, what happens? You live with margin. And when you live with margin, it creates more trust. And this becomes a generous cycle. This is the difference between changing your thought process to spending first to giving first. And there's a compound effect. And, and research has shown when it comes to when you make a big purchase, uh, how many know it's so easy after you make a big purchase to make other purchases that are associated with that purchase? Uh, think about a car. You're thinking, oh, I need new uh, floorboards. You know, I mean, floorboards, right? That's Mats. <laughs> that too, floorboards. You want some floor? Yeah, mats. Yes. Yeah. You have the new mats, you know, because you're thinking, I don't want the, you know, standard mats because I'm going to spill things, right? And you got to have those rubber mats. And so it's, it's, fun. it's interesting that they said that when you make a big purchase, the bigger the purchase you make, the easier it is to even spend more money after that because it's a compound effect. Well, that same effect is also true when you give. And the, the reality is this. I love this. The reality of generosity is when you are generous, you give more, you save more, and you consume less. When you orient your life, when you organize your life, instead of spending first to giving first, it's so much easier. And this biblical concept, again, is percentage giving, but this is something I was taught from very young, that the Bible doesn't talk about percentage living, but I always just assumed. And so always assumed it and was taught at a young age this idea of not just lit, giving a percentage, but living a percentage. And so this is what I was taught from a very young age. You give 10%, you save 10%, and you live off 80. You give 10% away, you save 10%, which is for future, you know, retirement or for whatever, and you live off 80. Now, this is something I also teach my kids. This is something that's, I, I think it's the easier it is, and this is, this is a problem I run into. The problem, and this is why I like, Justin, y'all don't talk about money a lot. And the reason is because I was taught from such a young age, I've never not done this, and this is the problem. Because I don't know what it's like to not live this way. And for someone who's sitting there going, uh, this is brand new for me, you think, well, how in the world do I even start? How do I, this percentage giving and living, how do you even start? Well, maybe the best place for you to start is to start with a percentage, whatever percentage it is. So it becomes the first thing. And when you give it first, raise that. And before you know it, you can get to the place where you're actually giving 10, saving 10, and living off 80. What would happen if you're not already doing this? What would happen in your life if you organized your life in such a way that you gave 10, you saved 10, and you left and you lived off 80. What would happen in your life? I think there's a lot that would happen in your life. And this, in fact, this is what Paul lived this out. And listen to what he said in regards to how he organized his finances in Acts 20, 32. Now, this is an interesting, this is one of my favorite stories of Paul. He's going on, um, uh, he's, he's hitting all these ports before he goes to Jerusalem. And at every port he goes to, they're warning him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to jail. I, I mean, they're saying the, the, the Holy Spirit's showing me this. You're going to jail. And Paul's like, that's the very reason why I'm going to Jerusalem. 
And it was because that he would eventually go to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem be in Rome and then in, in Rome imprisonment where he would later write Philippians. But on his way over, he stops at this port and he says this to these beautiful Christian people. He says, now I commit, to, uh, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. That's interesting, this idea of coveting. He didn't look at someone else's stuff go, man, I want that. I want that. I want that. He didn't do that. He goes on to say, verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So he was like, I, I share. Verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when it says it is blessed to give than to receive. Now, what's funny is I remember, because I grew up in church, I remember hearing that scripture, and I'm like, no, it's not. As a kid, I'm like, yeah, right. No, I like getting presents. No, it's better to give presents. No, it's not. The older you get, the more you begin to see the value. I mean, as, 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 as an adult, isn't it better to, to give a present to maybe a niece, a nephew, or a child, or your, or your spouse? Isn't it better to give than to receive? As an adult, the, there is a right answer. The answer is yes, right? If it's not, then we also have to talk afterwards. Uh, that's another message. But, but you have to get to that place where it's like, oh, yeah, I know what it's like. And, and Jesus was teaching his disciples, and, and Paul would catch on to this, is happy as the person that organizes their life around blessing others and generosity. And it's no surprise that for Paul, he says, I have not coveted. I was so busy being generous that I didn't care about what other people had. What would it be like to live like that? What would it be like to watch a commercial and see that new iPhone, or maybe I'm getting a little too personal, seeing that new iPhone and go, ooh. And at one point, I was looking at my iPhone going, ooh, and now I'm not going, ooh. You know, you know and some of y'all have those cracked screens and everything, then you need a new iPhone. But, I mean, but for me, there, my, my screen's not cracked. There's no reason why I need to upgrade. But Paul said there, it's, there's, there is a connection between the idea of being generous and giving and the idea of not coveting and not looking at and comparing with others. So generosity is not only strategic, not only systematic, but the scripture talks about this as being set apart. But the Bible says set apart in a different terminology. It calls it holy. This is not something I, I said. This is what God said in, in chapter 27, of verse 30. And he talks about the tithe, talking about setting something aside. He says, it belongs to the Lord, and it is, help me with this word. Well, holy is basically set apart. So now, now hang with me just for a second. Why would the God of the universe want your grain, or, or, or fruit from your trees, why would God say, I want you to set something aside? Does God not, God doesn't need your fruit. God doesn't need the grain. 
God doesn't, he has everything that, he doesn't need that, but it's not for his sake. Apparently, it's for our sake. To set something that has the propensity to have a place in my heart, I've got to learn on a regular basis to set something aside and give it away because we all have the propensity to have money, have a little bit more hold on our life than God have a little bit hold of our life. And there is a battle over our heart. And this is what Jesus would go around saying in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your, help me, there your heart will also be. He says, so where your treasure is, where you put your time, focus, and finances, what you fund, that is where your heart is. And so the reality is God wants your heart. And we have to have a day, a, a weekly or monthly practice of setting something aside to give it away to f- strategically fund needs in our community. But as we do that, it's also saying, God, I'm relinquishing that because I want you to have all of my heart. It's through giving. Giving is the way God chooses to change our hearts. So do you know what happens? What follows a person that centers their finances on generosity, that gives a portion of their, genero- their, their finances away? Do you know what happens? Blessing and contentment. When you organize your life around this, and I know this is a tough subject to talk about, but when you organize your life around this, there is something in it where you are then blessed, and there are a lot of people in this church that can tell you story after story after story of blessing, and it wasn't one of these, I gave God a dollar and I was expecting a $10 check in the mail type story. It was a thing that there's a blessing that it's hard to grasp because I've organized my life. And you know, I think a lot of that has to do with contentment. This idea. So contentment is not just centering your mind and changing your mind from having to doing, but contentment is also about practicing, organizing your life around, figuring out, I wanna, organize, I wanna give first instead of spend first. I wanna give, save, and live. And organizing my life that way around generosity instead of spending on me first. So let's talk next steps. Because the reality is, I think there's, there's, there's kind of like a couple of different groups of people in here, and this is kind of hitting us at a different level. The first group is, Justin, I have the heart to be a giver. I have the heart to be generous. The problem is, I need a plan. I mean, when you start talking numbers, Justin, I start getting cross-eyed. The you know, longer you talk about numbers, they're like, oh my goodness. And I need a plan. Can I tell you, there are great organizations that can help you with the plan. And, and I just want to share one of them with you. There's a, an amazing organization called Crown Financial. And uh, again, they're not paying me any kind of stipend here to, to share this with you, right? Um, but Crown Financial, uh, I love this because I, as I looked on their website, I was like, I, I think we need to find a place to help people create a budget. This idea of budget, in fact, some people think budget's a bad word. It's not, by the way. It's It's critical. Budget's critical. And so uh, I'm like, for some people, they're like, this idea of a budget, how do you even start? Well, they have this thing. When you go to their website, you can actually sign up for a budget coach. Isn't that cool? Now, it does cost. It costs $40. 
but that could be the best $40 you spend to fig- finally figure out to manage your, your finances and your resources around generosity, and they can help you. And it's like a coach that for like six sessions, and I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. So for some of us in here, it's not that it's a heart issue. It's a I need a plan issue because I, don't, I, I, I haven't done a budget ever, right? And so maybe you need some help in that area. For others, let's just be honest. You need a heart check. And it, the heart check isn't the fact that you're heartless. It could be the fact that there's something that's occupying more space in your heart. We talk about this idea of having stuff. Well, that's fine having stuff. The problem is when your stuff has you. And could it be that there's some space in your heart that your stuff is having a little bit too much? You're a little bit too nervous when you let someone borrow that. You're a little too much like, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do. No, no, no. That means that there's stuff that has a little bit of space in your heart. And so maybe the best thing to do is kind of have a heart check and say, God, why is it that I've allowed stuff to occupy space that only you should occupy? I think you need a renovation of the heart. And if that's you and that's your story, I'd like to recommend a book that I have told people to read, a lot of people to read. It's called Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. It's one of the best books on the idea of generosity. And if this is kind of like hitting you and you're playing like, you know, mental jujitsu with me right now, uh, I would say recommend to read this book. And, and op- be open to what God has to say, maybe through Andy, to help you in this idea of why is it that I'm a little too attached to my stuff? Because just, just to let you know, at some point, your stuff will go away. Because there's an expiration date on all of us, right? And, you know, someone said that you don't take a U-Haul to the gravesite. Some look like they've tried. No, you know what's going to happen with your stuff, and I see it all the time because I'm a pastor, unfortunately, is that your kids fight over your stuff. So keep this in mind as it, let's just be generous. Now, I'm not saying stiff your kids, you know, by any means. I'm going to get some hate mail from some grandkids. What did you tell my grandmother? Uh, make sure you take care of your family. But I'm just saying we only have, we have an expiration date. Let's make the most of it. And let's live life and and join a lot of people already in this church from the perspective of being generous with our life and with our finances. Let's stand up to our feet. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we're talking about contentment, it is not an easy thing. And Lord, I just pray that you'll do a deep work in our heart. And maybe for some of us, Man, this is just, this is a sensitive issue. God, I just pray that you'll just begin to deal with this individually. As we want to pursue you, we want to take an extra, another step in our faith journey. And I just pray, God, that you will guide us in this. Lord, help us see in those areas where they, our stuff and our finances, that we, we love it a little too much. God, help us as we pursue this idea of contentment, Christian contentment, as you become the center of our life, even our finances. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. All right, go to three people and say, he said notorious B-I-G. I'll see you next week.